Chapter 25, In that day you will say, O Lord, thou art my God, I will extol thee by praising thy name, for with perfect faithfulness thou hast performed wonders, things planned of old. Throughout these chapters here we have songs of salvation. And this is an instance of one of those songs. Those who survive sing songs of salvation, as we saw in verse 16 of the previous chapter. From a sector of the earth we hear singing, Glorious are the righteous. Those righteous who survive, for whom the Lord provides protection, praise him very much like the Israelites praised him and glorified God after the exodus out of Egypt. We saw an instance of that in chapter 11 and 12. Chapter 11, which talks about the exodus of the Lord's people from all directions of the earth to Zion. And chapter 12, which is a song of salvation, praising God for his deliverance of the people in Zion. And so it is here. While all of this destruction is going on, some are delivered out of it, and they sing a song of praise. O Lord, thou art my God. That's very personal, that's individual. It doesn't say our God. It says my God, implying that it is only individuals who sing this song. It's uh, only a few people, because there will be so few righteous in that day. The earth was so wicked as it was before the flood, when it was destroyed in general, and only a few individuals were saved out of it. Thou art my God, O my covenant God. I will extol thee by praising thy name, praising or thanking, for with perfect faithfulness thou hast performed wonders, things planned of old. This destruction of the wicked was planned of old. The cross-reference there in chapter 37, verse 26, says, Have you not heard how I ordained this thing long ago? How in days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass. You were destined to demolish fortified cities, turning them into heaps of rubble. The Lord addressing the king of Assyria there, who caused that destruction. The wonder that the Lord performs has both a positive and a negative aspect. It is the deliverance of the righteous, but it's also the destruction of the wicked. That's a wonder. The Lord is faithful to the righteous in destroying the wicked who have been oppressing them for so long. All this was planned of old, because the earth was not meant to remain in the kind of state that it is in today. The earth was meant to be glorified also, and assume a paradisical glory, but it could not do so until the wicked were removed from the earth, and there was a sizable representation of humanity that were in fact righteous, and deserved to live in such a beautiful place. Verse 2, Thou hast made the city a heap of rubble, Fortified towns a ruin. Heathen mansions shall no more form cities nor ever be rebuilt. For this will powerful peoples revere thee, a community of tyrannous nations fear thee. The city is again that entity of people that epitomizes the wicked. They are the wicked city versus the righteous city. The wicked city is made into a heap of rubble, which is the covenant curse. Even fortified towns a ruin. They are, in fact, the heathen. There are people that did not follow the light that was given them and chose to become alienated from God, their maker, and thus become heathen. Heathen mansions shall no more form cities, nor ever be rebuilt. Even the very architecture of the paradisical glory will differ from the present architecture upon the earth. Everything about the paradisical state will be different from what 
was before. For this will powerful peoples revere thee, a community of tyrannous nations fear thee, even the Assyrians who caused such horrendous destruction, who wielded all power on the earth for a short period of time, even those who survive of them will fear God and revere him, who was even stronger than all the nuclear blasts and all the armies of their alliance and all of their warplanes and battleships combined. Verse 4, Thou wast a refuge for the poor, a shelter for the needy in distress, a covered from the downpour and shade from the heat. During that destruction wrought by the Assyrians, the Lord provided for his poor and needy. Elsewhere, he's identified the poor and needy as his people, his covenant people. The words refuge and shelter are used very pointedly in many places in the book of Isaiah as referring to the cloud of glory that covers the righteous. As in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, which say, Over the whole site of Mount Zion and over its solemn assembly, the Lord will form a cloud by day and a mist glowing with fire by night. Above all that is glorious shall be a canopy, it shall be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day, a secret refuge from the downpour and from rain. That's very similar to what it says here. Thou wast a refuge for the poor, a shelter for the needy in distress, a covered from the downpour and shade from the heat. From the Sodom and Gomorrah type of heat, from the fiery destruction. When the blast of tyrants beat down like torrents against a wall, or like scorching heat in the desert, that is, the Assyrian attack, the nuclear war, or whatever form it takes, Thou didst quell the onslaughts of the heathen as burning heat by the shade of a cloud. Thou subduest the power of tyrants. The shade of the cloud, of course, is the cloud of glory, which no amount of destructive force can penetrate. It will provide a protection for the elect, for the holy ones and the valiant ones. And no matter how fiery the destruction that is wrought by the Assyrians, it can't have power over the elect. The downpour and the blasts and the heat, of course, is all storm imagery, and that, again, indicates the day of judgment. Verse 6, In this mountain, or in this nation, will the Lord of hosts prepare a sumptuous feast for all peoples, a feast of leavened cakes, succulent and delectable, of matured wines well refined. We would say from other scriptures, such as in the New Testament, that this is the marriage supper of the Lamb, to which the elect, or the wise virgins, are invited, those who knew the Lord. And those who didn't know him could not come to the feast. They were left in outer darkness. So the marriage supper of the Lamb is like the cloud of glory resting over Zion. It is a special provision made for the elect through that time period. So it will not just be them somehow eking out an existence during the time of destruction, but in fact they will be well provided for And it says, for all peoples, because all people will be invited to it. Of course, not all peoples will come. Only certain individuals will come who repent and keep covenant with the Lord. And while the wicked don't have anything to eat or almost nothing, these will be well provided for. It will actually be a supper, a single feast, as well as being an allegory for people who live through that time period in general, the elect. In this mountain he will destroy the veil that veils all peoples, the shroud that shrouds all nations, 
by abolishing death forever. Death here is called a veil or a shroud. And if death was done away now, we would be able to distinguish the righteous from the wicked because of the light that would emanate from us. Right now, we kind of all look the same. Mortality will be done away. And it says, My Lord Jehovah will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from throughout the earth. The Lord has spoken it. The reproach of his people comes because they were oppressed by their enemies. But also, while they themselves were the more righteous people of the earth, they were oppressed by the wicked. When the veil of mortality is done away, people will appear for who they really are. And it will be clearly seen that those who are more righteous will be more glorious than those who are not so righteous. So death will be done away in that millennial age, and people will no more die as they have done hitherto. Verse 9, In that day you will say, This is our God whom we expected would save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us joyfully celebrate his salvation. Our God, meaning our covenant God, so there is a group of people that is singing a song of salvation, as we saw earlier. In that day, or the day of judgment, among those who survive, we expected that he would save us. In other words, we relied upon that. We didn't rely upon Egypt, or the arm of flesh, or on anybody else. Our hearts didn't faint, even though there was temptation to do so, and the odds seemed overwhelming. Yet we relied upon God steadily, exercised mighty faith in him, This is the Lord for whom we have waited. One of the great motifs throughout the book of Isaiah among the people who survive into the millennium is this motif of waiting, waiting for the Lord. Let us joyfully celebrate his salvation or let us joyfully celebrate him because he personifies salvation. He's it. He's come now. That's very similar to chapter 12, which is cross-referenced there. It's the song of salvation that is sung there after the Exodus out of all the world. And that day you will say, I will praise thee, O Lord, though thou hast been angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou hast consoled me. In the God of my salvation I will trust without fear, for the Lord was my strength and my song when he became my salvation. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Verse 10 of chapter 25, For in this mountain rests the hand of the Lord, and under him Moab shall be trampled down as straw is trampled in a dung pit. For when he stretches his hands into the midst of it, as a swimmer spreads his hands to swim, he will pull down his pride in the attempt. Your highly walled fortifications he will lay low by raising them to the ground even with the dust. So the wicked city, the fortified town of the wicked, will be laid low in the dust. The whole wicked world goes into the ground or into the dust. Even with the dust. It ceases to exist. Moab signifying pride, as we saw earlier, trying to grasp at what he can to survive, cannot survive. Moab is trampled down. The king of Assyria does the trampling down in the book of Isaiah. He treads the people underfoot like mud in the streets, as we read in chapter 10. Straw and dust are chaos motifs, indicating that Moab or any other prideful entity is reduced to nothing, no matter how powerful they seem to appear. He will pull down his pride in the attempt. Verse 